This is the Intego Mac Podcast. The voice of Mac security. For Thursday, October 7th, 2021. This week's Intego Mac Podcast security headlines include the latest Apple Watch goes on sale this week and we have what's new. Facebook's longest outage yet offers a lesson about third-party sign-ins. A scary proof of concept can use contactless payment systems to rip off cardholders. And our first look at Apple's updated iPad Mini 6. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing just fine. Do you know what day it is, Josh? This is episode 208. This is our official four-year episode, isn't it? Exactly. We we did episode 200 two months ago because that's like a nice round mathematical number. This is 208 weeks that we've been doing this podcast. So it's officially four years now. We can officially say that. Congratulations, Josh. You've made it to the four-year mark. Yeah, that's that's actually pretty good. Not, there's not a lot of podcasts that last four years, so I, th- I think we're doing all right. So you were in Hawaii last last week and I, you don't have a tan you must you must have been indoors at this some kind of conference all week weren't you <laughs> well i spent a little bit of time outdoors but yeah um i went to objective by the sea version 4.0 and this is a mac security conference so really apple security but mostly focused on the mac okay anyone who's looking to buy an apple watch 7 it's going to be time friday it's going on sale if you remember a few weeks ago, they launched the new iPhone and they gave you an opportunity to choose which model you want pre-configured and everything and then go to the, the shopping bag and check out. They're not doing that with the Apple Watch and then you can't even see what prices there are available or what combinations of watches and bands. So I have a feeling that there's going to be a bit of a run on Friday when this goes on sale. Now, this is 1 p.m. UK time, so that makes it... 13 minus 8, that makes it 5 a.m. California time for you and 8 a.m. New York time. I, I like that you said it's time for the Apple Watch 7. Okay. Yeah, it, it's it's time because, you know, it's it's a watch. Right. Okay. Okay. That's okay. Yeah. Not too many people are going to really, if you've got an Apple Watch 6, you may not want to upgrade. The screen's going to be a little bit bigger, rounded corners, smaller bezels. I think the main difference is in terms of usability with the bigger watch faces, you'll be able to have more complications. So if you like having lots of information on your wrist and your watch face, this will be good. That's really, I think, the biggest new feature is just the additional extra millimeter or so that you get on the screen size. And of course, it still does work with all the same watch bands, just like every Apple Watch iteration has has done. They still are compatible with the original Apple Watch bands after all this time. Well, there were some rumors that this wasn't going to be the case, and I cannot imagine Apple doing that. I cannot imagine them saying, okay, you spent all this money on watch bands, and now you can't use them anymore. Well, I I mean, eventually I I would say they could very well come to that point. I mean, it's not like there's any, like, guarantee that, like, you're going to be able to use your old watch bands with your new Apple Watch indefinitely. Well, that would be... That would be cheap on Apple's part to try and do that. In any case, they're getting up to a 45 millimeter case. That's pretty much as big as you want for a watch. Now, I know that there's people who like, you know, mechanical watches that are bigger than that, maybe even 48 millimeters, but 45 is big. It's really big. So I don't think that they're going to increase the size much more. 
I am still waiting for a round Apple Watch. Maybe that'll be the Apple Watch 12 or something. See, I, I think Apple is so invested in in this squarish. What do you call that? Is a squircle or something? <laughs> squircle? Oh, or or is that maybe that's not quite right? It, it, but it's it's a square with rounded edges, right? And, and I think that Apple's heavily invested in in that form factor. And for Apple to switch to a completely round, I, I don't know. I'm not sure if Apple's ever going to go that route. Okay, we'll see. Where were you when Facebook disappeared from the internet for six hours? I was not using Facebook. <laughs> I mean, I, I wasn't <laughs> attempting to use Facebook anyway. Neither was I. I was looking at Twitter when I first started hearing about it, and then I went to Facebook to see, and it didn't load. And then over time, Twitter kept saying, you know, more and more people kept saying, Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp were all down for six hours. We've had cases where they go down for an hour. Gmail goes down for an hour or two. Slack goes down for an hour or two. But six hours... All around the world, this is pretty serious. And, you know, personally, I wouldn't be too concerned about Facebook or Instagram being offline for that long. But knowing that there are a lot of countries where WhatsApp is a primary method of communication, that's like, you know, what people use more often than SMS in many countries. Now, this is a great opportunity for us to remind people that if you are using sign in with Facebook or sign in with Google or even sign in with Apple, you are tying your access to some service on the availability of another service. So if your favorite website that you like to sign into with one of these third-party services is fully online, but the third party that you're using to sign into that service is offline, you can't sign in. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of risky. And whether it be Facebook, Google, even Apple, I think for the long term, I mean, you have the advantage of anonymity. Well, anonymity to the site you're signing into, not anonymity to Facebook. You have the advantage where you don't have to create a new account. You don't have to worry about a new password. And that's not negligible. But the risk of not being able to access it, imagine if in order to access your email, you were logging in with your Facebook account to an email provider. So the email being sort of the key to everything else means that you'd be blocked from a lot of things. And who knows if this, uh, if there were people speculating, maybe Facebook's just going offline forever because this was the day after that whistleblower was speaking in front of Congress. Obviously, that's not going to happen, but these things could last and you could be in a situation. Have you been signing into your bank with a Facebook account, for example? Gosh, I, I hope that banks don't allow Facebook access. Well, but there might be countries where WhatsApp could be used for banking. And yeah. in that case, you could have a lot of difficulty. Interesting. Well, and the other thing that this made me think of is OpenID. Once upon a time, there was a platform called OpenID that um, it wasn't tied to like any particular website. You were using your signing into some service that you already had an account with as a way of identifying yourself when you signed into another site. Um, so OpenID just sort of overnight kind of went away. And I've often thought about, you know, what if something like this were to happen? Now, Facebook, okay, it's hard to imagine Facebook or Google completely going away overnight. But there have been cases where services from any of these companies have come and gone. Google is famous for 
uh, you know, starting a service and then just ganking it and deciding, eh, we're not going to support that anymore. Now, I don't think they'll do that with the signing in with Google option just because that gives them a lot of data about people and what um, types of sites that they use, what things that they're into. But think about that in the context of Apple. You know, this is a service that hasn't been around that long. And what if a year or two from now, Apple decides, yeah, you know, that was kind of a failure. Let's just get rid of it. It could happen. And so this is something you need to consider. Okay. In other news, we've talked about how SMS is inherently insecure. And we have an article from Vice. Company that routes billions of text messages quietly says it was hacked. Cineverse handles billions of text messages a year, and hackers had unauthorized access to its system for years. Now, Cineverse, that's not like Apple or Facebook or Microsoft. Who are they? Uh, well, so the article says, and, and I've never heard of them either, but according to the article, this is a critical part of the global telecommunications infrastructure used by AT&T, T-Mobile, Verizon, and they say several others around the world. They also include Vodafone, China Mobile. So basically, if you have any one of a number of major providers they are seeing your text messages, or in fact, they're handling the the routing of those text messages. Um, so I, the reason why I think this is worth just bringing up briefly is that we've told you before, SMS is not secure. And in fact, um, apparently, hackers have been <laughs> reading people's SMSs through if they were sent through this particular service for a number of years. Uh, so like we say, you know, SMS itself is not secure. There's no encryption, um, and all bets are off. If you're if you're sending stuff through SMS, assume that somebody else can read it, just like a postcard. Okay, link in the show notes, and I'm going to buy Josh a T-shirt that says "SMS is not secure." <laughs> I would like that. I would wear that. <laughs> okay, Apple's App Store has re-added a link where you can report a problem with an app. The goal of this is to report scams, the kind of scam app we've talked about every now and then that charges you 10 bucks a week to do nothing. The, my, my problem with these things is if you've subscribed to something, you can unsubscribe easily. So you shouldn't be paying for more than a week. But then people who don't check their credit card bills or they don't check their Apple account might not know about it. So there is now a scam or fraud option. This report of problem link was removed years ago. But now it's back and you can report fraud, even if you haven't bought the app. If you see an app that you think is scammy, you can report it to Apple. I love this. And I really, truly hope that this is going to be something that Apple pays close attention to. And I assume what they're going to do here is that they'll probably prioritize assessing or reassessing apps that have been submitted if a lot of people are reporting this as a problem. And so what, what I hope is going to happen is that, you know, basically it'll take, um, you know, a couple of some maybe social media influencers who are popular in, in this space, um, you know, of, of sort of security in general and, and Apple in general. If, an, if enough influencers are letting people know, hey, this app is a problem, please report it so that Apple will take action. Um, I'm hoping that the quantity of reports is something that Apple's going to take a close look at and quickly take things down once uh, many people have flagged something as a problem. 
Okay, you and I both like clever hacks, and we found something last week. A lost Apple AirTag can lead the finder to a malicious website. Now, if you find an AirTag someplace on the ground, or if you find an AirTag attached to a bag, for example, you can hold it up to your phone, and you'll see a little, like a notification that displays at the top of the phone, and it'll say, website NFC tag open found.apple.com in Safari, and you tap it and you go to Safari. Well, some clever people have figured out a way to put JavaScript in the phone number that you put in the Find My app when you've lost an AirTag so that when someone taps that little thing, they get taken to a bogus website, which could be a phishing website. The proof of concept here is that you'll get to a website that's asking for your Apple ID and password. Now, what you need to know is if you have found an AirTag, Apple is not going to ask you to sign in with your Apple ID. Right. And that's, I think, one of the key takeaways to this. Um, but I mean, theoretically, you could put any number of other malicious things in there. If if you are a really nefarious person with um, uh, maybe a lot of money uh, to spend on <laughs> buying zero-day vulnerabilities, I suppose that you could use this to exploit zero-day vulnerabilities on somebody's device, buy up a whole massive number of AirTags and stick them all over a metropolitan area or something and just infect everybody's phone. I, I don't think that anyone would probably do that, but um, just th the idea that you can run arbitrary code just by having an AirTag near your phone and then tapping on that alert, um, that's, that's a big deal. And by the way, this was something that people had speculated was probably possible shortly after the AirTag very first came out. And now somebody has been able to reproduce this and show that it's not just theoretical, it's for real. Okay, just one limitation to your malicious scenario is you cannot have more than 16 AirTags linked to one Apple ID. So if you did want to run a mass what would it be? A mass honeypot scheme with air tags all over the place. You'd have to get a lot of Apple IDs and sign to a lot of different Apple devices. Yep. Okay. Well, that's good to know, at least. Okay. We're going to take a break. After the break, we're going to talk about a really interesting contactless hack, and we're going to talk about the new iPad mini. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2021. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection, Net Barrier for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security, Personal Backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Big Sur and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego. World-class protection and utility software for Mac users, made by the Mac security experts. Okay, we have an interesting story on the BBC. Some researchers found a way, and this gets a little bit complicated, they found a way that someone using Apple Pay Express Transit on their iPhone can be hacked 
with a contactless hack, and, and it involves one person has to have a radio transmitter that talks to the phone, another has to have an Android phone, and another one has to have a payment terminal. Now, this could be one person, and kind of before the show we were speculating, imagine three guys in a subway car just with these three different things, and the guy with the radio transmitter is walking up and down the subway car, and you know you could probably find dozens of iPhones like that. And the researchers were able to make a contactless payment of 1,000 pounds from a locked iPhone. Now, some context that the BBC does not mention in their article. This was done in the UK. There is currently a limit for contactless payments with cards, not with Apple Pay, but with cards of 45 pounds. It's going up to 100 pounds on the 15th of October. So even if I lose my contactless credit or debit card, no one can buy more than 45 pounds at a time today or more than 100 pounds after October 15, and the banks guarantee fraud anyway in order to make this system work. Also, in, in terms of like the United States, um, the, those numbers are pretty similar in terms of the limits. Um, we were looking this up briefly before we started recording, and it looks like um, depending on which credit card you have, there may be a $100 or $200 limit for contactless payments. So this circumvents that. Um, it's a little bit more complicated process than than just you know bumping into somebody who has a card in their pocket. Um, there's there's a little bit more complexity in in the scenario on how to pull something like this off. But the idea that you can bump into somebody who has a Visa credit card set up in Apple Pay using Express Transit, or they also call it Express Travel in the UK. For some reason, it has a different name there. But it, but using that feature, if they've got the Visa card set up with Express Transit and somebody who just bumps into them while they've got the phone in their pocket, it can be locked even. And somebody can uh, basically charge that person uh, a, a, a large transaction that can be far beyond the normal contactless payment uh, limit. So it is very interesting. It's, it's not something that you're terribly likely to see, but if you do have a Visa card set up with Express Transit for Apple Pay, um, that's something you might want to reconsider. And we'll, we'll link in the show notes to Apple's article explaining how to use Express Transit with Apple Pay so you can see whether you've got a card set up this way. The BBC article points out that this could be used on lost or stolen iPhones. So it doesn't even have to be someone who bumps up against someone in a subway car. So here's a tip that you should know. If you go to your iCloud settings on a Mac, it's System Preferences Apple ID. On iOS, it's settings, and then you tap your name. You'll see all the devices that are linked to your Apple ID. And if you do have any cards connected to Apple Pay, you can just click or tap remove all cards on that device. So if you do lose a device, we last year we talked about someone whose phone got stolen and his PIN got cracked and someone was able to get into his bank account and all that. And what was interesting is that Apple says that if your phone is stolen, don't erase it. Just mark it as stolen or lost or something like that for whatever reason for it to be traced. So if that does happen and you don't erase the phone, at least remove all the cards because if someone does steal the phone, maybe they're the kind of people who are selling it to the guy who's got the radio and the Android phone and the payment terminal to do this kind of thing. Yeah, they might try to steal all your money, which um, that would not be a good thing. No. Okay. iPad mini. Now, we were talking before the show that you just don't use an iPad and that you're missing out on one of the computing experiences of our time. Now, I know you have one at home. I think your wife has an iPad, but you don't, you're not an iPad user. And I just, I just don't understand that you're 
do all this Apple stuff and you're not an iPad user. I have a review of the iPad mini sixth generation now up on the Intego Mac security blog, link in the show notes. I love the iPad mini. I like the iPad as a concept, but I love the iPad mini because it's like mini compared to the other one. And as I've said in this article and previous articles, I consider it a paperback iPad. Like the larger one, which my current iPad Pro, I think it's a 10.7. That's the big one. It's, you can't, you got to have two hands to hold it. But this one, it's small. It can go in a big pocket. I can hold it in one hand. I use it to read on. I use it to um, sometimes, you know, do Twitter or web browsing and all. But I like the compactness of the iPad mini. Hmm. Yeah, see, for me, all of those things that, that you mentioned, uh, you know, reading, uh, web browsing, I can do all that stuff on my iPhone. So, and, and for me... Oh, but that's way too small. Well, okay. And so for me, an, an iPhone screen is not way too small. So I, I, maybe that's one of the, the things that... And I know you can do a lot more with an iPad than you can with an iPhone just because there it opens up more possibilities for uh, apps that can really take advantage of a larger screen. There's just not like any particular app that I feel like, you know, uh, that is only available on iPad that I need an iPad for. I, I feel like really everything that I use my iPhone for is perfect on an iPhone and everything that I use my Mac for is perfect on a Mac. I, I, for me, I just can't find that that sweet spot or the the particular thing that's going to be better for me if I had an iPad of my own. You, you need to try it. It's like a big iPhone. I, I know. Like well, a really <laughs> big iPhone, except you can't make phone calls with it. Well, again, that's my thing is like, I, I don't feel like there's anything on the iPhone that I'm just like, oh man, if only the screen were bigger. So I, I don't know. Then again, you don't wear glasses. True. True. Yeah. Um, so maybe if I did, maybe this would be a, something I would be maybe a little bit more uh, interested in is having that bigger screen, possibly. Okay. So I, I, you know what? I don't, I, there's nothing that I dislike about the iPad. And in fact, um, I think I mentioned once Apple announced this, I, this new iPad mini, I, I think if I were to get an iPad, this is the one that I would get. There's a lot of things to like about it. Um, I really like the uh, the touch ID on on the power button on the on the top. That's really a nice feature. Um, there's a lot of really good things about the iPad Mini. It's just I, I'm not sure that I it makes sense for me personally to get an iPad. So in the article, I compare the iPad Mini fifth generation and sixth generation because I have both. One thing that you'll notice that's different is the screen aspect ratio has changed. It's it's a I guess it's a sixteen nine whereas it was a four three before the body of the new iPad Mini is smaller than the previous one but the screen's a lot bigger and it it feels a lot bigger because you have more of that verticality like an iPhone than you did on the previous model. Of course, it works both in portrait and landscape so when you're in landscape it's wider. But the display is a lot better. They've added the ability to use the second generation Apple Pencil, which is really good. I just, I, there's something about this device that I've always, I've since the very first iPad mini, I've always found it to be that device that is just like the in-between that is good in all the situations where you don't want to carry the big iPad. I mean, imagine if you're traveling, right? You don't want to carry a laptop. It's too heavy. Why take a big iPad when you don't even need glasses? So the iPad mini would be for you like a regular iPad for me. Just a correction, we were off air for a second where we were checking the aspect ratio. It's not quite 16.9, it's closer to 3.2. Even though 
in the photo compared to the 4.3 of the fifth generation, it looks like it's more like a 16.9, but it's not. It's closer to a 3.2, but it's not exactly anything. It's 1.5 to 3 to 1 ratio. So that's 3.46 to 2, something like that. But anyway, one downside of the new iPad mini is it's $100 more than last year's model. At $499, that is an increase of 25% over last year's model. If you want to make this into a good, portable, usable device, you get the Smart Folio, which is $49, and you get the second-generation Apple Pencil. That puts you up to $687, and that's getting pretty close to an iPad Pro, of course, without the pencil. But it's getting expensive, and it used to be more affordable. It used to be closer to the base iPad price, and now at $499, it's kind of a premium price. I still like it. But, you know, for you, maybe you should just get the plain iPad, the one that they call iPad 10th generation, $329. I'm sure you can find one on sale someplace soon. Well, okay. And to be fair, there are a lot of really good reasons why the price has increased by $100. Because compared to the last model of iPad mini, which uh, came out only, well, it's, I guess, two and a half years ago, really. Two years ago, yeah. That had an A12 Bionic. And the new 6th gen iPad mini has an A15 Bionic. So it's it's more than just the, you know, two generations. It's, a, it's actually three generations newer on the processor, uh, among other things. I mean, they, they did some really nice things. Yeah, that's not an excuse. That's not an excuse. That's this year's processor, the same as the iPhone. So that's not an excuse. It is a little bit better. It's It's got, you know, the display is bigger and all that, and the form factor is different. And the Touch ID, I mean, the Touch ID button, that's probably worth 100 bucks right there, right? Yeah. One thing that I find a little bit disturbing is I have Face ID on my iPhone and my iPad Pro, and when I pick up my iPad mini, the new one, I go to swipe up because I just expect them all to work the same, and then the Touch ID is, it throws me a little bit. So I'll I'll be happy when Apple has the same thing all around. This also charges with USB, whereas the iPhone's still lightning. I mean, we've got these sort of overlaps of different technologies that, that are a little bit disturbing if you have multiple Apple devices. One of the first things I found with Touch ID is that you have to register two fingers. You have to do your right index finger and your left index finger. Because when it's in portrait, you're going to use your right index finger. When it's in landscape, you're going to use your left. So right off the bat, as soon as you do it, get the second finger on so you don't have to twist it around when it's in landscape. Oh, I see. So they're not requiring you to enroll two fingers. It's just practical. No, no, no. Just for usability. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, whereas with a Touch ID button, you don't have that because you're always pressing you know, from the same position. So here, depending on how you pick up your iPad, and it's the same with the iPad Air that has Touch ID on the power button, it's the same thing. The, the other weirdness is all the buttons are at the top. So the power button and the volume up and volume down button. And you'd expect the volume up button to be the one that's toward the outside of the device, and it's not. It's the one toward the inside of the device. So it's thrown me a couple of times when I've been listening to music and pressed the button, and it just started blasting out because I wanted to lower it, and it went higher. Yeah, that's pretty confusing if you're used to an iPhone where maybe you have like the power button on the right, the volume up and down on the left. Um, that's quite a bit different to, to get adjusted to the iPad mini then, I think. In, in any case, if, I, I would say it's my favorite iPad. Not that I use it more than my iPad Pro, which I use more to watch videos, but it's my favorite iPad. And we'll link in the show notes to my review and you can see some cat photos that I use as my lock screen. That's my cat Titus there. 
Always looking for an excuse to have cat photos and articles. You know how it is. Yeah, well, if, if, you're, if you're a cat person. Okay, that's enough for this week. Next week, we're going to talk about how to use multitasking on the iPad. And this has been a real improvement in iOS 15. Last year's model of multitasking was the kind, how did I split this window? What funny gesture did I make to do it? And now they've got a little menu that's really easy to use, and we're going to talk people through this. So until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.